would be in the top 10 New Year's resolutions for people? What do you think that would be? Can you put the first slide up for me, please, Chris? What, what do you think it would be? Shout it out. Hang on. Go to the gym. Lose weight. Anything else? Drink less. Eat less. Eat less. Okay. And drink less. Fair enough. Anything else? What, what do you think would be in people's New Year's resolutions? Come on. Shout it out. Read the Bible every day. Good. This, I don't think this is particularly a Christian survey, actually. But um, New job, somebody said. Anything else? Why don't we have a look? This was a survey in 2012. Um, in this survey, this is an, um, based in America, but you know, I'm sure that it's fairly similar over here. Um, in this survey, 45% of Americans admitted to making at least one New Year's resolution. In reverse order, the top 10 came out like this. Spend more time with the family. Fall in love. Help others their dreams, quit smoking, learn something exciting, stay fit and healthy, enjoy life to the fullest, spend less, save more, get organised, and yes, lose weight. How long? So this survey continued to ask how long these resolutions will last. Surprisingly, I can tell you that according to this survey, 75% of resolutions made will continue right through to the end of the first week of January. (laughs) Actually, in reality, 46% of those who make resolutions make it beyond six months. That's what the survey said. Another interesting, just a little interesting aside from this survey, they also stated that 39% of people in their 20s that's 40%, two-fifths almost, the people in their 20s who make resolutions will achieve them at the end of the year, whilst only 14% of people over 50 will achieve theirs. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet, but I'm not far away. I particularly like this quote that I found. New Year's resolutions are a little bit like babies. They're fun to make, but extremely difficult to maintain. <laughs> it's, I was interested to note that the top resolution on this survey was about losing weight. And this year, right now, I want us to start a new series for this month called Fit in Body, Mind and Spirit. Okay, it's a good topic for the new year. It's actually something that I've been thinking about personally, well, pretty much all my life, but I've been thinking about teaching this topic for well over a year. Sometime in 2015, I felt like God spoke to me personally, really, really quite significantly, about us looking, about me looking more closely at this issue and about us as a church. And I felt like God said, I want you to preach a series called Fit in Body, Mind and Spirit. Honestly, I didn't think that I could do it with any credibility until I'd at least started to take that issue seriously for myself. So I felt like God started to speak to me about it and I started to do something about it. And I know that some of you are listening to this and you're looking at me and you're thinking, yeah, who's he to talk about physical fitness and health? If anyone, leaves, if anyone needs to lose a few pounds, it's him, and you'd, you'd be right. Um, as you can see, I'm not exactly the perfect physical specimen yet. <laughs> but the truth is, um, over the last six months, I personally have uh, significantly changed a lot of my thinking and my habits around food choices and fitness and health in a way that is beginning to make a real difference in my life. So far, uh, it's resulted in me losing about a stone and a half in weight. Thank you. Thank you. If I keep on this road, I will continue to be healthy and honestly live longer, um, which is kind of my main motivation for this. 
Um, I just want to be absolutely clear at the start of this talk and say that I'm on a journey, just like these guys were sharing, I'm very much on a journey with a, a whole bunch of distance still to go. I'm not here to lecture you. Um, I'm not here to hold myself up as the perfect example to follow. Um, personally, I have made a solid start and I've tried to change some of my thinking. And what I want us to do today is to look at what the Bible has to say about our bodies and how we look after them. It's a massive, crucial area of our lives. And in my experience, I think it's mainly completely ignored in church. Okay, now I have been alive for 47 years. I've been going to church pretty much most of that time. And I can remember one occasion when I've heard a talk in church related to this area. And that was a talk about food specifically and what the Bible has to say about food. And I'm going to look more at that specific issue next week. But other than that, in the 47 years, I've never heard a talk in church about what the Bible has to say about physical health and fitness. Um, if you have, brilliant. Um, but the way that you are nodding your heads suggests to me that you haven't either. If you're, by the way, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, first of all, I'm just really glad you're here and you're incredibly welcome. And um, we hope that you, you just feel at home with us. Um, and I trust that in this talk there's some helpful wisdom and advice uh, for everyone. And I think you might be surprised actually to find that the, the Bible has a lot to say about this issue. For me, this journey has been one over a number of years, pretty much most of my life. For as long as I can remember, I've been overweight. Um, I never really talked about it much publicly before. Um, being the outgoing, outgoing, kind of jolly kind of guy that I am, I can usually laugh it off. Truthfully, um, it's been an issue that at times has caused me pain and anxiety and quite a lot of shame different times as well. I remember being called names at school because of my size. My parents were never really into sport. I was never, that was never really a thing that we did in our family. So I was never really been encouraged in that direction and never much good at it. But for me, the real problem has been habits around food, interestingly, with what was shared today. And particularly eating for comfort. And once that pattern got established as a young man for me, pretty much stayed with me most of my life. And food became an easy way to compensate for the various stresses and strains. Now, I've never felt judged by other people in this, but I would often judge myself, especially when I would hear on the news the word obesity. And it just kept coming on the news, obesity, there's a problem with obesity. And I, every time I hear that word, actually, I, I, I struggle to, with a sense of kind of shame and guilt, thinking, oh, that's me. And knowing in my quiet moments that this isn't really how I'm supposed to live, but I don't really know how to change it, you know? I tried like methods, different methods over the years. I've lost some weight, made some moderately successful Changes, but never a lasting change. And I don't know, maybe it's the same for you. I don't imagine I'm the only one who struggled in this area. Maybe you don't struggle so much with food, but there's some other area where, you know, you've got into with habits and patterns that just aren't that good for you. Well, I mean, you've just heard an amazing advert for a course that will really help. Um, that's not for everybody, but it may be for a whole bunch of us. Um, the thing that that does is it helps you change the way you think. And I've realized over the past few years that the key to all of this is about changing my thinking. It's not changing my habits, it's changing my thinking. Well, the habits change if you change the way you think. I don't really know how to go about that. I worked that out a few years ago. I just need to be able to flick a switch in my brain somehow and think differently and everything will be fine. You know, I even went to sort of doctor GP friends and said, oh, so how do you do that? How do you go about that? You know, how do you, how do you go about changing this? There must be a quick way of doing this. I went to my GP about a year ago, and I said, look, um, are, is there a psychologist who could help me with this? 
the GP, bless her, she's lovely. She just, she didn't laugh at me, but you know, she just, the, the, the truth is the NHS resources are pretty stretched without me being a priority. She gave me a couch to 5K running program and said, you know, you can, you can come back and she, she, she's lovely. You can come back and check your blood pressure, etc. So basically I was like, okay, I'm not going to get much help there. Um, I think I need to just do something myself and I'm not sure what it is and I don't know how to go about this. Anyway, I'll let you know a bit more of my story in due course, but what I really want to do is look at what the Bible has to say. And uh, I want to start off by looking at 1 Corinthians, which I've reproduced for you on the sheet, although you're welcome to look at it in your Bible if you like. And I also should acknowledge at this point um, this guy, Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, who is best known for a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Um, But this book he wrote is called The Daniel Plan. Now, he has this massive church in California, and it all started for him when... uh, when he was baptizing all these people one day and he realized how, how overweight they and he all were. He said, I was just tired. I baptized all these people. I was like, everyone's so fat around here, <laughs> including me. This is what he said. And, um, and he sort of got going on this whole plan. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you the whole plan today, but it's there if you want to look at it. But there's some really helpful principles that I just want to look at that I've borrowed from for this. It includes, the plan is to sort of look at a whole healthy lifestyle. It includes health and nutrition advice. It's the only thing I've ever read that does this from a Christian faith perspective. You know? Um, and it starts out by just looking at what the Bible has to say about this. So Romans 12 is a good place to start. This is a really well-known verse. We looked at it in our Roman series last year. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you notice that there is a connection, a really strong connection between the body and the mind? And Rick Warren says, and the, the quote is up there at the top of your sheet, He says, what you do with your body sets the tone for everything else. That physical health influences your mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional health, your relational health, and even your financial health. That's why I've named this series Fit in Body, Mind and Spirit, because it's integral to everything that we are. Our body is part of us. We can't kind of, you know, we struggle to be without it. So in a couple of weeks, I've also asked Stephen Jeanette to share a little bit about, um, about uh, emotional health and mindfulness, um, which is another course that's going on and um, starting up in February. But I just want you to know at this stage that taking seriously the challenge to commit our bodies to Christ will have a knock-on effect on every other area of our lives. And the context of this passage is that Paul is actually teaching the Corinthian church. He's not talking about food particularly. He's talking about sexual immorality. But he's talking about their bodies and our bodies and how we treat our bodies. And he's challenging some wrong thinking around the body. So let's read it together and I'll, uh, you can follow along. It says, I have the right, Paul says, to do anything you say. It's in quote marks. Note that. It's important. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord 
is one with him in spirit. Free from sexual immorality, all of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And here's another key verse for us today. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, as I said, Paul is already is mainly talking about sexual immorality here. The slogans that he quotes are slogans that were around the city of Corinth and the culture there at the time. You know, that whole, I have the right to do anything. And food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Those are kind of popular sayings in that culture that he's quoting back at them and then challenging. You know, perhaps we're thinking perhaps a modern day one might be, because you're worth it. You remember that advert? You know? The body is meant for the Lord, though, and the Lord for the body, the Paul's, Paul says. He challenges them. The Corinthians, you see, have adopted this idea from the culture around them that basically your body can have anything that it craves. That our physical needs is kind of totally separate from our spiritual and emotional needs. So if the thinking is if your body craves sex, it's okay to go to a prostitute. And if it craves food, then it's okay to eat as much as you want. That was part of the culture at the time, and it was going on in the church as well as in society at large. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not how it should be, guys. And so there are five points here that just try and explain and unpack a little bit of Paul's teaching around how it is that our body, our bodies and God relate. And the first one is just this word owned. You see, Paul makes it very clear that our bodies belong not to us, but to God. It's his property, not mine. I don't own my body. He owns it. He made it. He expects me to use it for the purposes that it was intended for. Now, I don't know about you, but my natural tendency would be probably to rebel against this idea. I'm pretty sure that we, uh, our culture keeps telling us that, you know, our bodies are ours and we can do what we like with them and it might, it's up to me what I do and how I live my life. Hey, I'm worth it. Whatever feels good, whatever I need, I can do that. God says, no, that's not true. You didn't make your body. I did. And it's on loan to you. And I expect you to take care of my creation. See, Rick Warren says, whatever we think we own is really just on loan. And in the ancient Greeks, the philosophers believed in this sort of dualism thinking, that the mind and the spirit were really elevated up here and the body was just somewhere down here. Therefore, you know, it's okay to mess your body up. It's, it's, it's even evil. But if you ask any decent doctor, they'll tell you, you can't, you can't divorce the body from the mind. You can't make a decent diagnosis without looking at the whole person. I have a great story to tell, but I'm running out of time, so I can't tell you about that. Next time. <laughs> next time. Next week. Even that, though, should just have us thinking. You know? Our bodies are not our own. And point two, we were bought at a price. See, Jesus paid for my body when he died for me on the cross. How many people like to watch the Antiques Roadshow? Yeah, a few. I'm not admitting to that myself. I'm, it's, not my, it's not my scene. What is the question that everyone wants to know when you're watching someone bring that antique on the Antiques Roadshow? What is it? How much? How much is it worth? What am I going to get for it? How much is it worth? Isn't the truth, though, that things are only worth what someone else is willing to pay for them? Things are worth what someone else is willing to pay for. Who was willing to pay for my body? And how much 
Well, Jesus, verse 19, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. See, Jesus values each of us so highly that he was prepared to buy us with his own life. Now, when I was a kid, I remember this. We used to have posters around our church with this slogan on. It's, it's, I think the posters are a little bit cheesy, but the, the slogan is incredibly powerful. It says, I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And he said, this much. And he held out his arms and died. If we are so valuable that Jesus would give his whole life for us, then how much do you think he wants to take care of ourselves? You wouldn't buy a million dollar racehorse and then feed it junk food and keep it up all night, would you? For example. God wants us, he wants to look after his investment. You know, he values us and loves us so highly, it makes sense that we would look after ourselves and that he would encourage us to do that. Another point in verse 19 is that God's spirit lives within us. We are his dwelling place. Verse 19 says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and who you've received from God? See, when you and I accepted Jesus, his spirit came to live inside of us. It's a funny old phrase, isn't it? Temple of the Holy Spirit. But imagine if you saw someone abusing or vandalizing or trashing a temple, a holy temple. That's a, you know, that's, that's, that's not a good thing, is it? We'd consider that as a, cr- a criminal act in most societies. And yet here's our temple of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we're trashing it ourselves by, you know, looking af- not really looking after ourselves or overeating or undersleeping or putting too much stress on ourselves. See, if God's spirit dwells in my body, then I want it to be a really good dwelling place for him. Don't you? This is all about stewardship. You see, although I said I'm not the owner of my body, I am the caretaker of it, the manager. I am the steward. So this is an act, an area of an issue of spiritual stewardship. One day the Bible says I'm going to give account for how well I stewarded my everything I was given. Everything I was given, God's going to ask me what I did with it, including my body. You look at your life from an eternal perspective, you can see that while God is, what God is doing is he's testing us on earth to see how much he can trust us in, within eternity. He's watching how we use our time and our money and our talents and our opportunities and yes, our bodies and our minds. And then the last point on the, on the sheet is about renewal. God will resurrect my bodies, the Bible says, after I die. We're currently living in version 1.0 of our bodies. Some of us may have had some adaptions, I suppose. But the Bible says that when we get to heaven, we'll be on version 2.0. What an incredible blessing and comfort to some of us. I mean, honestly, there are some of us that have bits of us that just don't work very well. You know? And we don't know how our heavenly bodies will look or how it will work. We have some clues from the Bible of when Jesus was resurrected. But we do know that in heaven our bodies will be perfect. No broken parts, no blemishes, no wounds, no pain. It says that God, by his power, in verse 14, raised up the Lord from the dead and will raise us also. You see, God is in the business of reshaping and renewing and reforming us. Of setting captives free, as we've just heard. Spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, physically. Until the day when he will indeed raise us from the dead. 
By the way, we're doing a whole different series starting in February, which looks at what happens after we die, based on a book by a guy called Tom Wright called Surprised by Hope. I'm really excited about that, but we're coming back to that next month. But sometimes the reshaping and the renewing that happens here on earth, well, sometimes it does happen miraculously. God has power to intervene and sort stuff out. But for many of us, we also have a part to play. And if we're honest, and let's just be honest, many of us know that there are things about the way we treat our bodies that could improve, aren't there? The truth is we need God's power to help us, to help us live the way he's called us to live, and particularly to make any changes to habits and patterns that we might need to make. Whether it's substances that help us get through the day, like nicotine or caffeine or alcohol or sugar or chocolate, or whether it's exerting too much stress on ourselves through work or whatever, or not resting enough or not exercising regularly or something else. Now listen, I'm not saying any of this to make anyone here feel judged in any way. Please don't feel judged by this. We've already sung this morning about God's grace for us and all that he's done. There is freedom in the Lord. It's available to us as we work with the Holy Spirit to change the way that we think and the change that we, the way that we act. And that, all I simply want to do this morning is to open up a conversation with God and with each other about how we apply some of this biblical wisdom to our lives. And I want to acknowledge that for some of us, we do, honestly, how I joked about it, but we do have parts of our bodies that just don't function properly. It's for various reasons, they're not our own fault. That can be really tough. And, and in all of this, I'm not trying to make anybody feel any worse than they already are. I'm not trying to make me feel, feel pressurized. It's not some kind of, I'm not talking, I'm not raising up some kind of ideal here or some kind of twisted theology of perfectionism. It's, it's nothing like that. But I do know that if we allow him to, God will speak to each of us and can speak to each of us about how to take every part of his word seriously, including this part. Which is to commit your bodies to the Lord and that our bodies are not our own. They're not our own. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Are you someone who needs to change the way that you think about your body? Have you ever committed your body to God? I found that a challenge, actually. I can't remember when I did do that. So I prayed in the shower. Are you looking to make a long-term lifestyle change that really makes a difference? Now, this is a two-parter, at least. Next week, I want to talk about some more specific, practical ways to work this out, and I want to share a bit more of my own story. But just a few brief points to finish on how to break habits and create new ones. Because as you probably already know, willpower on its own doesn't work. It just doesn't work when we're trying to make lasting changes. Oh, it'll work for a few weeks, maybe a few months at best. We need to understand a little bit more about how our habits actually work. And Rick Warren says this in his book, he says, Our habits control our lives, we shape our habits, and then our habits shape us. See, most of us, if I asked you now to make a list of ident and identify your bad habits, you could probably do it in about a minute. You could probably tell me very quickly that what you know needs to change. But you know, it's pretty hard to replace them, isn't it? Even though they're harmful. I'm not, by the way, is anyone connecting with this or is it just me? Yes. Okay, fine. Just, just checking that you can relate to this. So here's four quick reasons why it's hard to break habits. Number one, we've had them so long, we're just comfortable with them. You know, whatever our habits are around food, whether we eat too much or too little, 
whether we're out of shape or we lack energy, we really didn't get that way overnight. More likely a long, slow decline. Many of our unhealthy adult habits were developed in childhood, sometimes as survival tactics for unmet spiritual and emotional needs that we experienced early in our lives. You know, um, I have a friend, and um, as a child, she was made to eat a boiled egg twice a week. Every week, made to eat a boiled egg. She hated eggs. She was made to eat it twice a week. And her parents were not here for various reasons of her not doing that. So she got very good at kind of looking like she was eating it. She got very good at excusing herself and spitting it out down the loo every single time. Breakfast time, twice a week. Her parents never knew. So she told them later in life. <laughs> then they were upset. <laughs> but, um, you know, for her it led to some quite serious food issues around the control of food and around not wanting to eat and um, some pretty serious eating disorders, which she's, bless her, done really well to work through. But that's, that's, that's hard. For me, I experienced the opposite. I've already kind of said, as a child and as a teenager, I experienced a kind of emotional isolation that I think probably, on reflection, led me to find comfort in food, which was never really checked. So it wasn't about not eating for me. <laughs> it was the opposite. You know, it just became a habit just not really think about what you're eating. It took me until my mid-30s to realise that that's what was going on, that this is comfort eating. It took me almost another 10 years to work out how to actually do something about it. You know? Some of us, these things just become part of our lives and we're so comfortable with them that we never want to change. Some of us identify with our unhealthy habits. They kind of become part of us. Do you ever say, for example, oh, I'm just always late to things? Or... I just, I'm just the kind of person who worries a lot. You know? It's just, it's, this is just who I am. When I was in a band, my nickname was Big Nige. <laughs> Sometimes if we're not... I mean, it was meant in jest and all of that. You know, it's all good fun. But, um, but if we're not careful, we get our habits and our identity mixed up. You know? But the, the truth is the habits don't define us. And God, as, as Andy already said better than I could, God loves us despite them. You know? And his love for us is not dependent on our habits and we can change them. Third thing, our unhealthy habits do actually have a payoff. Let's acknowledge and recognise that at least. You know, you wouldn't eat this stuff if it didn't actually feel good. It might cause pain and problems in the long term, but in the short term, oh boy, is there a reward. And whatever gets rewarded, gets repeated. You know, whether it's the addictive taste of junk food, the quick energy burst of sugar or carbs, the pleasure of staying in bed in the morning or lying on the couch instead of exercising, whatever it is, there's a good feeling about it. And the Bible addresses this. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. The truth is most of the social problems that we see in our culture now are as a direct result of an unwillingness to delay gratification, to just wait. I want to do it, I want it, I want it now, it's okay. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. I've been absolutely, um, like you, watching the news over the last few days. Lots of talk about all the sort of famous people who've died over the past year or so. 
Not much talk about how many drugs and addictions that those guys forced down themselves in their lives. You know? Because it's kind of not cool to talk about that. But, and again, I'm, not, I'm in no way sitting in judgment here. No way. But there is cause and effect. There is, this, is, this stuff is going to do things to you. You want the short-term gain? You know? You have to realize there's a long-term pain. And so that's a reality for some of us. That's why it's so hard to break these things. And lastly, we are in a war. We are in a war. There is an enemy who wants to discourage us. You know, we're not only fighting our own natural inclinations, but we're fighting Satan, who the Bible calls the deceiver or the accuser. He's actively working against us and putting negative thoughts into us all the time. You don't need to do this. You can stay where you are. You can't do this. I'm kind of running out of time, but I don't want to stop there because that's the bad news and there is some good news. I'm not going to give you... I've given you this sheet today because there's a whole bunch of information here and I'd love you to take it home and look it up. But lasting change is possible. And this teaching from Rick Warren just talks about what that looks like and the elements it requires. It requires building our lives on the truth. I love this quote. You know, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, Jesus said. And uh, this guy says... The truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. <laughs> you know, we don't like to face the truth about ourselves, do we? But, if, but it's, the only way, it's the only way to make a start on this stuff, is to face reality. I read a book about a guy who was overweight, and he just said, I just, I just, I just took all my clothes off and I stood and looked at myself in the mirror for a long time. And that is a hard thing to do if you, like me, or are... are are, you know, overweight. But it's the truth. And until we face the truth, we aren't going to be able to do anything about it. And for me, this has been a journey of getting right down to, trying to get down to the roots of what's really going on here. Conversations, realizations, encounters with God over different times where I've just uncovered a little bit more of, oh, okay, that's why this is like this. Oh, that's what happened. And this is where that habit started. And just kind of trying to bring those things back to God. It's painful, but it's powerful. And the Holy Spirit is not a judge. He's a comforter. So God might challenge us, yes, and you might find this a little bit uncomfortable, but the Holy Spirit is a comforter. And if God is talking to you about this, then this is a safe place. This is a safe community to be real in. It need, we need to build our life on the truth. We need to make good choices. You just don't get healthy by accident. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it doesn't happen. It's a decision, an intentional choice, actually a lifetime of intentional choices, starting with a decision to do something. Philippians 2 says, God works, God who works in you, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. If he is asking us to make changes, he will give us the resources that we need to do it. Lasting change requires new ways of thinking. The way we think determines the way we feel, and the way we feel determines the way we act. I've already talked about Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, transformed by renewing your mind. The biblical, the biblical word for changing your mind is repentance. It means make a mental U-turn and choose to focus your thoughts in a completely opposite direction. A new mindset creates new emotions, which gives motivation to change. 
So the question for this morning is, what needs to change about our thinking? What self-destructive ideas have we held on to about food or about our bodies, about sex, about work, about stress, about our health? See, to get healthy, we first need to repent of unhealthy choices and start to think differently about our bodies. For me, this has been an absolutely vital step. And as I said, I'll share a bit more of my story next week. But one thing that happened for me last year is... um, for various reasons, I got, I got to have a guy who was training to be a coach, a life coach, I mean, like a, like a, not a, not a physical coach, a, a life coach, practice on me. So I had this Skype set up once a month, just for an hour, with this guy who happened to be another pastor and an older guy who's more experienced, and he's actually been through a whole bunch of this stuff himself. You know, somebody who I'd seen had lost some weight, and, had, and, and we had a whole chat about this, and I said... You know, I, I feel like God is saying to me I need to be fitter because I need to live longer. I want to be around for my kids and my grandkids. And I want to be active and energetic for them. You know, and I want to do everything on my part that I possibly can to make that possible. And uh, I had this long conversation with him and um, we did, did various things. And, and, and um, one of the things we did was Joe and I did a detox uh, for about a week or ten days. I'll tell you more about this next week. But... Um, it's a horrible thing to do. <laughs> Did it for a week. Lost half a stone. Yes, fantastic. And then nothing. And I went back to this guy, Jamie, I was talking to, coaching. I said, how is this work? He said, oh, you need, the thing is, you can't change your habit. You need to change your thinking. You need to learn to think better. I was like, is that even a thing? That I can learn, to, that I can practice the way I think? I mean, that was new to me. You need to learn to think better. And some of us need to repent today about the way that we think about ourselves and about our bodies and about our minds. We need to allow God's truth to fill our minds. The last two points are fairly straightforward. It requires God's spirit in us. And the more we have his spirit in us, the more character grows. And particularly, there's great patience and self-control are in there. And lastly, it requires honest community. The Bible's very strong on community. If you're trying to do this on your own, the reality is you won't do half as well as if you're doing it with somebody else. It's a biblical principle. This guy, Rick Warren, they started this program at his church. Now, his church is enormous. It's hundreds and thousands of people. Um, In their Daniel Daniel Plan program, 12,000 people collectively lost 250,000 pounds in weight. But those who connected to a small group to do it lost twice as much as those who tried to do it on their own. Interesting. For me, I wouldn't have managed it without the encouragement of friends and talking it through with this guy. And I'm also part of a fitness group that I go to. And also I talked it through with my family. I said to my kids, "Um, I want you to help me to make good choices. I want you to help me think about the food choices I'm making and if you see me making some that don't look very good I want you to not accuse me and judge me just be gentle to me and say dad is is that really a healthy food choice I thought if I don't get them working on my side I toyed with the idea of sharing it on Facebook but um I thought that was a bit in your face for all the people who were on Facebook you know just to make myself accountable but anyway we have some resources that will help we have some resources that will help um they're at the bottom of the sheet. We've already talked about the Power to Change course, and you'll hear about this over the next couple of weeks. Are, are all the courses up on the website, Chris? 
Yeah. So all these courses, life groups are up on the website. Um, there's Fit Steps exercise class starts again next Friday. There's a Monday night football. There's a walking group, the Power to Change course, the Stress and Mindfulness course. You'll hear all about those coming up. There's just a whole bunch of resources that are already available to us as part of our church community life that if you wanted to make changes, you could utilize. And how I'd like to, love to finish today is I've put a little prayer on your sheet. And I'm just going to put it up here as well. And I kind of wrote this prayer this week because I thought, actually, what some of us need to do is just talk to God about this. So why don't you stand with me? <coughs> Next week, as I said, I'll continue with this stuff and share a bit more of my story and unpack some more practical stuff. But for now, I think what needs, some of us need to do is we just need to come before God with this and we need to repent of unhealthy habits and we need to commit our bodies to God. Now, you might be in perfect physical shape, in which case, congratulations, that's wonderful. You know? Yeah, come and help the rest of us. I know that overeating and being overweight is not an issue for everybody and I'm not trying to make out that it is. Um, but if there's some part of your thinking around your body that you feel like the Holy Spirit is asking you to think about and change, then this is a good time to just make a commitment to do that. So why don't we just be quiet for a minute and why don't we ask the Holy Spirit to just come and speak to us. And then I'll lead us in this prayer. And, uh, and we can say this together. And then we'll close up and there'll be time for ministry and whatever else. Perhaps the guys will come back in a minute as well and play. But Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you for our bodies that you've given us. And Lord, if there is anything about the way that we think about our bodies that, that, that you want to challenge today, then just make that really clear to us here and now. And for each of us, that might be something completely different. But Lord, where our thinking has been messed up, where our habits have taken over, where we haven't exercised self-control or patience, Lord, would you just show us where that is? Not to judge us, but to challenge us as to grow. Holy Spirit, come. This is all about you. This is all about you.